Most gracious God, we are grateful for your presence. May each of us take a moment to remember that God is present here and now, that he inhabits the praises of his people. Thank you, Lord, that you are here and what you provide us is the most fundamental needs that we have to be fully known and fully loved by you. In a world that knows so little of love, Lord, we need you. And so today, Lord, may we consider what it means to embrace your story in the midst of the world's story. To that end, I pray that you would pour upon me the gift of preaching, that my very frail and broken and human words might, by the power of your Holy Spirit, become your living word, uniquely crafted for each and every one of our hearts. We pray it with great confidence, for we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, for Stewardship Sunday, I want to talk about which story we choose to find ourselves in. Which story do we choose to find ourselves in? Because we all know there are multiple stories out there, multiple philosophies of where humanity comes from and where we are going, multiple stories that proclaim what's most important in life, where we find our identity, our value, where we find meaning in life. One popular theory of the story we find ourselves in is embodied well in an article from The Atlantic this week entitled, We Living Things Are an Accident of Space and Time. It was a hopeful article. It's written by Alan Lightman, who teaches at MIT, very smart person, and he hosts a miniseries entitled, Searching Our Quest for Meaning in the Age of Science. So Alan is interested in meaning, right? I just don't, it was hard for me to find meaning in his article or where I would find meaning in light of his article. So how does one find meaning if all of life is a result of an accident? All I can say is the article left me feeling meaningless. And I, as I read the article, what amazed me were the obstacles that Alan had to overcome to prove his we are an accident claim. And he openly admitted these. For instance, Alan writes this, Our universe seems particularly fine-tuned for the emergence of life. For example, if the nuclear force holding the centers of atoms together were a little weaker, then the complex atoms needed for life could never form. If it were a little stronger, all of the hydrogen in the infant universe would have fused to become helium. Without hydrogen, water would not exist, and most biologists believe that water is necessary for life. In the face of this evidence of fine-tuning, he asks a natural question. How could such fine-tuning exist? Then, after acknowledging one logical answer, that there's a creator, he says right after that in the next sentence, another explanation, more scientific, which I would disagree with, is that our universe is but one of a huge number of universes called the multiverse. How many of you have heard of the multiverse or the idea, theory of the multiverse? This is the thing, right? What they're saying is they're so sure there's not a creator that they would rather believe that there is an infinite number of universes out there because if there is this massive number of universes out there, then of course statistically one of them would be fine-tuned in this way. Does that make sense? So either our universe is what it is and something 
or someone fine-tuned it, or there are an infinite number of universes out there. And this is the thing he says and acknowledges. He says, but we can't know if there are multiverses. He said, we're locked into our own system, right? We can't get outside of our universe to even know if there is one. And then he says this, the hypothesized boatload of universes must be accepted or rejected as a matter of faith. Now, I'm just saying, it's a lot easier for me to have faith in a creator, right, than in this theory that there are a gazillion universes out there. Now, look, he could be right. Maybe there are. The problem is we can never know, right? It takes faith. Faith is required. What we heard today in the scripture that Julia read for us, the scripture was all about faith. Right? Jesus is saying, hey, trust God. He's got the birds covered. He's got the lilies covered. He's got you covered. And he says, you have little faith, right? And it's really, he's talking to us today about engaging our faith. And Alan agrees, right? He knows that faith is required for whichever story we choose to believe about humanity. So the question is, where will we place our faith? How we answer this question is of utmost importance Because the story we choose to find ourselves in has huge implications for the meaning we find in life. Most people who embrace Alan's we are an accident story embrace secular humanism and seek to find purpose and meaning in the promise of materialism, right? Materialism, some some philosophers say that is uh, the materialistic worldview is the philosophy of the world today, right? There is little grace in this story, in that story, in theory, everything is earned, though in my experience, that's not the case. Not everything is earned, and not everybody starts in the same place and has an equal chance. Optimism is a tough sell in this story. There's no loving, gracious, and forgiving God watching over us, calling us to love and serve one another. And when we die, well, we simply cease to exist. Now, the folks I know who buy into this story often try to find meaning in light of it in the concept of love. But as I've talked to them, they've admitted that even that can be difficult because there is, if there is no God and we are an accident, then even the feelings of love we have are nothing more than chemical reactions in our brain. Right, So it's a depressing thing to have to overcome. And if you talk to any human secularist, they, the places they posit meaning are good places, a lot of times they actually reflect the very things that Christianity lifts up that we should value, right? The problem is they just don't have a real foundation for it. They just kind of say we ought, right? We ought to be moral. We ought to take care of others. The problem is there's nothing underneath it, right? It's just an ought. And so, you know, it really does matter which story we find ourselves in. In stark contrast to Alan's theory, Scripture proclaims The story we find ourselves in, of course, is very different. One that's immersed in meaning and purpose. The story God tells asserts that humanity is of inestimable value. It proclaims we are no accident. In fact, life itself is sacred. It asserts that we are created with great intention and love, and we are made in God's image. We find meaning as we serve God's kingdom in all we do. We were talking about that last Sunday. If you were here on Labor Day as we talked with Jaime Gonzalez, we were talking about how whatever we do in life, because we know God and are known by God, we can do whatever we do unto God as an act of worship. 
You know, whatever you're doing, selling life insurance policies or teaching or delivering the mail or staying home and being a parent, whatever it is, we can do everything we do as an act of worship. And it's amazing the meaning we find when we interact with God in whatever we're doing, right? And so... um, Sorry, I've got to come back to where I was. We live in hope because we have faith that God's story also carries us beyond this life to a new heaven and a new earth where we will be reunited with those we love and there will be no more pain or suffering or death. And when it comes to love, it's no mere chemical reaction in the brain. For even though humanity falls into sin, even though we make decisions that irreparably harm one another and creation... God's love for humanity is so strong that God himself becomes one of us in order to absorb all the consequences of our sin. In the gospel, God demonstrates what love is and calls us to love in the same way. So that's, those are the two stories, right? And, and there are other stories out there, but these are the two I'm talking about today. There there are a lot of variations, right? Mainly, I think these are the two stories, but there's just a lot of variations within them. Even so, living into God's story can be very challenging in our world. I think many of you that I talk to as a pastor find that to be so. I certainly find it to be so. It's really common for those of us who are Christians and believe God's story, even so, to be tempted to derive our significance and our meaning from the world's meritocracy, right? We get it. We try to find our meaning and purpose in uh, the merit or that we're successful or that we have prestige or that we have a lot of money. And what I found in my own life and with many of you that I've talked to, even some of you who have been exceedingly successful, is that it's just not enough, right? There is some purpose and meaning there. It's just not enough. And so uh, when we take time to really consider the two stories, to me there's no comparison. Who would want to live in Allen's We Are Nothing More Than an Accident story when God's story of humanity's immense value is available? Who among us would want our children, our grandchildren, our nieces, and our nephews to live in a story founded upon competition and winning at all costs rather than one founded on love? Right? The reason that we want our children to come to church and to learn the Bible stories is to learn a counter story to the story we find in the world. Right? This is, there's no surprise here. I think what's interesting is we just don't think about the power of God's story and how we need to gather to ensure God's story continues to shine in our world. Because today it just feels like things are lessening, doesn't it? It feels like the church is retreating. It feels like a lot of what I'm talking about in God's story is losing its place in the conversations that are happening in our world. And so, no, we want our children to be in a place where they can understand that there is meaning in life that's intrinsic, that a God who created them loves them and cares for them by grace Right? Unconditional love, fully known, fully loved because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in today's story, um, we are trying to decide, right, which story are we going to live in. And today's scripture gives us an encouragement as it compares those two stories, right? Jesus is saying we must have faith to embrace God's story in the midst 
of the world story. He says, If God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. It's not that we don't need the things, right? It's not that we don't need clothing and to be fed and to have the things we need in the world. It's that we need to trust God first. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus reminds us when it comes to human flourishing, the world story makes it all about what we have. He says, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, right? That's the world story. And your father knows that you need them. So this is as fundamental as it gets. The world has its ways and God has his And the question remains before each of of us every day of our life, right? It's a daily choice. Today, which story will I embrace? Which story will I embrace? And you might be thinking, well, Jeff, um, we live in the world story. We do, right? You can't escape it. It is the water that we swim in. So how do I embrace God's story in the midst of the world story? Well, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is within us. It's not out there. It's in here, right? And so when we come together as community, and that's one of the reasons I'm encouraging you back to in-person worship, I do think that when we're in person and we're connecting to one another and encouraging one another, things are different in the way we experience God's story than we do otherwise. But we want to be encouraged. We want to know that this story is being presented week in and week out, that we're being reminded of the truths of the gospel and the kingdom of God. And so we come and we engage in that. And then as we go out into the world, we have this kingdom within us. And as we get up in the morning, we profess allegiance to that kingdom. Okay, Lord, I'm going out into a world that's cutthroat and competition everywhere, and I'm going to live a different way. Right? But I don't know about you, when I'm on my own and I'm out kind of dangling by myself, I don't do as well at that as I do when I'm around you, and you're reminding me and I'm reminding you about that kingdom, right? And so the question for today is, what is your answer to which story you would choose to live in? Which story do you want to find yourself in? Is the world story enough? Or have you come to agree with Jesus' assessment of where significance and meaning are found? If you agree with Jesus, then together we must invest our time, talent, and treasure to ensure God's story thrives. Does that make sense? If we believe in God's story, and this is why I'm saying the title of the sermon is why we are all should be cheerful givers. We should all be cheerfully giving to make sure this story thrives, right? Because this is the very foundation of not only our lives, but of God's kingdom and more of the world itself. And the witness of Christ, the church being a light on the hill, right? That's what we are called to be and to do. Do you like the way I work stewardship into that? <laughs> so um, we should do it cheerfully. 
I've sort of said this, but I want to read it a particular way. The reason we should joyfully share of our time, talent, and treasure is we should want to do all we can to ensure God's story is a thriving alternative to the world's story. And when we sacrificially share our time, talent, and treasure, we're sending a message to God and we're sending a message to ourselves to ensure that where our treasure is, there our heart is also, right? The world story has very little room for you giving your money away. It's all about earning your money, right? And it being your money. In God's story, it's not your money. It's God. Everything is God's, right? Because everything we have was given to us by God. The intellect we have, the education we have, where we were born, who we are around, right? All of those things are gifts of God. And so what we're doing when we are generously giving of our time, talent, and treasure back to God is we're saying to him, we recognize the deal. We see it. We're telling ourselves and reminding ourselves, year in and year out, that God, you are the giver of all good things. And we want to sacrificially contribute back to this story to ensure God's story is vibrant in this world. And so what does that cheerful giving look like? Right? Well, every year God calls us to take stock of our lives, how we're doing in giving our time, talent, and treasure back to God. And this is that opportunity, right? In the next week, take time to be honest with yourself. Just say, okay, here's where I am. How have I done in the past year or two? It's been tricky with COVID, right? There have been a lot of things that have shifted in the way the church is operating or the way we are volunteering or giving of ourselves. How might God be asking each of us to respond this year? Regarding financial giving, Scripture really clearly calls us to give a 10% tithe back to God. This is His, right? This is what we owe Him. If we're not tithing, do we have a plan to move toward tithing? Amy and I have tithed every year since we were married, so coming up on 32 years. It's never been easy. Don't think because I'm a pastor, tithing is easy. It's not easy. But let me tell you this. We've never ended the year, not once, without having enough. We have never ended the year without having enough. And so look at the percentage of your income that you give and pray about how you might increase your giving. What would it look like to increase your giving over a span of years by a half percentage or a percentage a year, right? Build your faith. As you go, for those who don't regularly turn in an estimate of giving, I'm asking everyone to turn in something, right? If you put some money in the plate from time to time or you write a check or you do something, that's great, but estimate it. You can always change it, but there's a discipline between you and God that happens when you turn in that estimate of giving. So I'm encouraging us all, right, to support and be investing in God's story by taking it seriously in that way. Regarding time and talent, I'm asking you to consider, like I said, the worship plus two, right? And so the postcard that went out um, has on the back, it has a lot of different options, right? In your serving outwardly, you don't have to do that at St. Andrews. We would love for you to serve here, but you may be serving somewhere else, right? That's fine. Let us know about that. We want to know about it. When it comes to discipleship, it doesn't have to be here. You don't have to go to our Sunday school class or whatever or our Bible study. Some of you are involved in BSF or other 
outside studies, right? That's great. These are just ways for us to know and for you to be kind of committing back to God. Yes, Lord, I'm going to try to be regular in worship, and I'm going to be serving outwardly, and I'm going to be growing inwardly. And so that's, you know, these are the ways that I think that we um, invest in God's story. We ensure that St. Andrew's is a vibrant place here on the corner of Buffalo and Bissonette. As I close, I'd love to read verses 29 to 32 from the message version. I love how uh, it's worded here. It says, what I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, not to be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find all of your everyday human concerns will be met. That to me, right, it's us beginning to steep ourselves in God reality, God initiatives, God's initiative and God's provision. And may we this year take our response to God with our time and our talent and our treasure seriously. May we ensure that God's story here on the corner of Buffalo and Bissonette is a thriving alternative to the world's story we see around us. May we do that in our faithful walk with God this week. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.